we've been here at your church 12 years ago, believe it or not. So for those who've been here 12 years ago when I was speaking here, hello again, great to see you again. Uh, we all think like, we never see this guy. Of course, because I look much better back then <laughs> than I look now. Um, but uh, I know Chris and Fliss for some time, and uh, we are so happy. Uh, you know, you've been very influenced uh, uh, to us when we were here, uh, you know, 12 years ago, because my wife and I was just, uh, we just moved to a new city, uh, and uh, we were uh, uh, thinking and planning to start a new church uh, from scratch. It was just two of us. Uh, the city, we didn't really know anybody there. We just moved there. And uh, God gave us a strong vision of what the church that we are going to start will look like one day. And uh, the vision of the church was that it will be easy to understand church. It will be relevant church that will understand the people. So relevance in relationships like the two core values. And we, we had that vision and we wanted to build a church like this. But in the same time, we didn't really know many churches that will have the similar vision that will be so strongly on the relevance and relationship side. And so we were trying to look around. At that time, uh, Chris invited us to come over here. And so we, we've been here for a weekend and saw your church. And, and it was a great atmosphere. It was back then when you met at the school. And uh, it was a very specific, we never seen church like that. Because, you know, at that time, you had a worship time, you have a singing time. And after that, there was a break for donuts in the middle of service. I have never experienced that ever again in, the, in my life. And I, I remember, uh, like, when there was this break, everybody disappeared to get the donut. I was thinking, nobody will come back to hear me. So I'm glad you have a donuts now after the service. Uh, that's kind of safer for the speaker. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, but it was, it was awesome. And as we were kind of watching the church, and uh, that was kind of like one of the examples for us, uh, how the church could look like. And I remember talking to Dita when I was just watching how Chris and Chris interact with you and, you know, kind of like floating in the spirit among the people, but it likes them, you know, good pastors, good leaders. And I was thinking like, I would love to be the pastor like Chris is. So I said to Dita, one day when we will have a church, I will wish to be be a pastor, you know, like Chris is. And uh, so you've been the influence for us, and we are thankful for that. Also, last year, I mean this year, sorry, I'm think already living in 2015, but this year, in the summer, uh, your church has sent a mission team that came to help us in our church with a summer camp that we do for teenagers. It's a creativity-based camp uh, that we do for teenagers who are mostly from atheistic background, never met Christians, some of them in their life, never been to church, and we do some creative skills, and and, uh, and uh, we had uh, usually teams from Texas who come to help. And uh, one of the classes we do is actually the, uh, teaching English. And uh, Richard, who was leading the team from your church, when he saw the you know, kind of overview of the classes, he said, I believe our team should help you with the English classes because I see that your English teachers are actually from Texas, but the people are supposed to learn English. <laughs> Uh, so, um, so they help us a lot. So we want to thank you, uh, thank you for sending that team. It was a great team. Um, and uh, from what I heard, they thought it was more like holiday. Uh, in fact, they were working very hard. And uh, uh, I, I think you should do uh, that as well. And next year, perhaps, maybe come uh, as well. And uh, we have a great time there. Lots of fun. But it's a great, great joy for us that we have uh, found each other again and that you, you're helping us. So hopefully... Uh, we will see some, some of you in, uh, in Czech. Uh, again, I don't know if you've been in Czech. Uh, I suppose many of you have been. Uh, Prague is quite a popular city. Uh, we live one hour outside of Prague. 
So, um, but this weekend, we celebrate a big celebration in Czech. Because tomorrow, November 17, is exactly 25 years since the communism collapsed in our country. So it's a, it's a big celebration. And uh, it happens because uh, 25 years ago, in November 17, there was a big demonstration of students against the, the regime, against the government, and uh, they sent the police who beat them harshly, and uh, the, the time was ripe, and basically in just uh, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, the whole government crumbled, and there was a big, if you remember those days, there were big changes, all these you know, communist countries in Europe, they were crumbling one by one, the Berlin Wall falls down, everything was kind of like very fast. And in Basically, next couple of weeks, we had a new government and became a free country. And uh, I don't know if you, uh, if you can imagine how it was to live like uh, in a communist days. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe if you didn't experience that. But uh, one of the things that uh, was quite of common for, for us growing up in communism was that there was always a shortage of something. There was never enough things to buy. Uh, so even if you get some money, which most didn't, but even if you get some money, you didn't have things to buy. So it was a kind of normal that if you were walking on the street and you saw the queue of people waiting for something, you get into the queue, not knowing what they will sell, but if there was a queue, it was worth it to get into the queue. <laughs> and I know some of you hate being in the queue, especially if you are supermarket, you always look for the shortest queue because you are in a rush, right? But in communist time, the longest queue was better because it means it was something meaningful there. So, quite opposite. So when you, when you saw that, you just get into the queue. And one other thing that was pretty uh, normal was that because it was a shortage of stuff, there was not enough stuff, if you want to build something or buy something or do something, you have to uh, get some people uh, who had some, uh, some um, you know, uh, access to those things. So it was highly important to have acquaintances, to have people that you know, that in, uh, they, will, they, will, uh, have, uh, they will know somebody in important places. So the, how the whole society was running because of the shortage of the staff was that basically it was highly important who do you know or who knows you. So for example, uh, if you knew somebody in the shop uh, they were selling meat and it was not usual that you would find actually a good meat there. So when, uh, when they got another you know, portions of meat, they would hide it for you because you were the friend, you were the acquaintance. And then one day you would just get, get there and you would say, hey, do you have it for me? And they were like, yeah. And they would smuggle that. You know, like people smuggle drug these days. We were smuggled beef and pork at those days. So it was kind of important, who do you know? And in some way, we live like this even in the free country. And perhaps you do live like this in free country too. Because the people you know, um, maybe in a, a special position, and they may gi give you a free passes uh, to get somewhere, or they may open the doors for you that you need, or they may get you stuff that you are looking for. So it's important for some people to know some people, and it's a, it's a nature of a human relationships that the best advertisement is the word of mouth, who do you know, who has the experience, who can get you somewhere. And so that's how we do it. We do it in every area of our life, really. And we do it even in the free country, right? The problem is that because we want to get what we want, we try to play that we are better than who we really are. We are faking ourselves to look better to get what we want. You know, everybody who was ever looking for a spouse and now is married know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I 
Well, you know, like how many people, you know, uh, when we do some marital counseling, you know, and uh, how, how many people will say, you know, he was so nice or she was so kind, and after the wedding, they've changed. No, 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 they never change. <laughs> they always been like that. They were just faking it because they knew if you were new, you will never say, uh, yes, I do. But it's too late. So after you said, yes, I do, after you said, yes, I do, they, they were kind of relieved. Finally, I can take down the mask of trying to look nice and, you know, like I don't have to wash the dishes anymore. Like, you know, well, we have plenty of stories like that. Let's not go there, really. But you finally, finally get the mask down and was yourself, and it's a big shock for everybody. Like, oh, never knew that he or she is like that. So we do it. We learn how to be the good actors, all of us. Hey, you know, you sometimes will envy. You were reading this, you know, tabloid newspapers, magazine thing. Oh, I wish I would be the actor or actress. You are. <laughs> and you are pretty good. Some of us are so good in acting that we even believe what we are acting. It's a, a life role. We are becoming our own lie. We are certainly, you know, we are assured that we are the ones that we are trying to behave like. The problem is that there are places in this world where people will know you the way you really are, no matter what mask you wear, no matter what perception you build about yourself. They look at you and they know exactly who you are. And what they know about you matters more than you think. So I would like to look with you today to uh, three of these places where they know you, who you really are, and what they know about you really matters. And surprisingly, since we are in the church, I'm not going to start with God. I'm going to start right on the other side. In the, in the books of Acts, which is the history book of the, of the starting of the church, of the first years of the church, the, the books of Acts, the chapter 19, the Luke who wrote the books of Acts, he told a story about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was kind of a main figure at that book. Uh, and he was, uh, he was uh, somebody who was converted from, from being the persecutor of Christianity to being the supporters of Christianity. And, and he, he was traveling uh, all this Roman Empire and preaching about this man who was uh, the man, but he was actually God and who, uh, who did the miraculous stuff and who helped the people. And then he died for the sins of the world and he was buried. And the third day he rise up from the dead and now he is alive and he can transform our lives. And so he did that all around the Roman Empire. And the chapter 19 of the story tells the story how Apostle Paul came to the city of Ephesus. Now, the city of Ephesus was a city full of worship, but not to God, but to Diana or Artemis, as they call her, the goddess, uh, and the Greek, uh, you know, the, you know all, this, uh, all this system they believe. And so they, they worship Diana or Artemis uh, and, uh, with a big favor. And in that, in that, to that situation, Paul came and be, make a big uproar by talking talking about Jesus, and God did some miraculous things to the level that when Paul was praying for people, they got instantly healed, 
And they got healed in powerful ways. So people were, were kind of astonished and they brought the demon-possessed people, the people they were kind of tormented by, by some uh, super, uh, supernatural evil forces. And when Paul prayed for them, the demons left and he made a big uproar about that. And uh, uh, he was so famous for doing that, that people were actually even bringing the piece of clothes to him and says, can you just pray for that? That Perhaps maybe we can take that piece of clothes and and lay it on some of our family members who can't make it here for the meeting. And maybe God will touch them and heal them. And he did. And so Paul became a very famous person in the whole city of Ephesus. Everybody was talking about that because it was so famous. And uh, of course, in the city of Ephesus, it was a pretty big city. There was other religious people and other spiritual people who wanted to have the same success. Just try to imagine. They were saying, like, we try to convert people to our faith, and it doesn't really work, you know, at such a supernatural level. And now this guy comes over here from Judea. We don't even know him. He's kind of an unimportant guy. And suddenly he makes the whole city uh, uh, turning upside down. It must be something about it. So they were watching carefully what Paul is doing. And they saw that Paul is always saying the sentence, in the name of Jesus... I command you go when he spoke to the demons or in the name of Jesus be healed or in the name of Jesus be free and so they were watching him using in the name of Jesus sentence and they thought oh maybe that's the power that's the secret of the power of Paul by using the, that, that specific sentence and many of us actually do the same thing we watch people who have some, some story how God has touched them and we just think if we just pray at that location where that person prays if we just pray that specific prayer, what the person prayed, if we just say the proper words, maybe God will touch us because we think the power is in that ritual rather than in God who is giving that. And so, uh, so they watch how Paul is doing that. And every time he, uh, he kind of pray for people, he used the word in the name of Jesus so that maybe that's the core secret that we just say in the name of Jesus and then everything will be done according as we wish. So let's get to the story at that moment. Um, So the Acts chapter 19 from verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Jesus, uh, the name of Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So what Luke says here, actually, is that there were some, some people, they were actually trying to do a similar job that Paul was doing, and uh, with not such a success, but they saw what Paul is doing, and so they said, oh, maybe it's in that name of Jesus. So we will use the name of Jesus to drive out the demons. So they will come uh, to the demon-possessed people, and of course, they didn't believe in Jesus, and they didn't preach Jesus, so they have to add that one line about the, in the name of Jesus that Paul is speaking about, in the name of Jesus that Paul is preaching about. So they will say to the demon, you know, I'm driving out in the name of Jesus that Paul is speaking about because I have no idea who Jesus is. <laughs> right. And so that's what they did and what the seven sons of Sceva did. But now, I, I love this story, you know, I really love this story. Now, when, uh, when uh, the son of, uh, seven sons of Sceva, just imagine you have this one demon-possessed man, seven sons, you know, all the brothers surround this man and say, in the name of Jesus that Paul is speaking about, we drive you out. And uh, Luke says, one day, the evil spirit asked for them, to that man, 
Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? <laughs> now, I've been watching lots of movies, you know, with those kind of like um, situations. And I always, when I read the Bible, I have a good, you know, fantasy, imagination, how it looked like in reality. So I always envisioned that it was something like this, that, that you know, like the, the demon-possessed guy was kind of like, you know, like in the, in, the, in the Western movie, you know, the cowboy, you know. And they said, we drive you out in the name of Jesus that Paul is speaking about. And he didn't even look at them. They were standing over here. And he just have a closed eyes and he said, Jesus I know, of course Jesus I know, every demon knows who Jesus is. He's the creator, he's the God. We were saying that when he was walking on the earth, he always said, don't say it yet because it's you know, secret yet, it will be revealed later. So of course I know who Jesus is and I have heard about Paul. But who are you? <laughs> That's how I envision how it happened. And, um, you know, uh, and when that happened in the movie, you know what's coming next, right? <laughs> you know what's coming next. So what's coming next? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and then overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It's like the action movie. I wish somebody actually made the action movie out of it. It would be a fantastic movie. So he said basically, who are you? Now, Let's stop here for a second. This is important line that the, that the demon said to these guys. He says, well, I know Jesus. Of every demon, every devil knows who Jesus is. But he says, he says, no, I know Paul. He says, and I know about Paul. Now, what he's saying, actually, he's saying that he has heard about Paul. He doesn't have... He didn't have encounter with Paul yet. He didn't know him personally. So how he heard about Paul, how he knew about him. So again, my fantasy, imaginary, you know, coming back. I think there was a press conference down in hell. <laughs> At the press conference, you know, the, the, the chief speaker of the demons, <laughs> he, he stood up and he said, so guys, well, he gave the report from different parts of the world. He said, now Ephesus, Ephesus, that was always our city. We have to reclaim that city back because now we have a troublemaker there. His name is Paul and he's a very dangerous guy. Demons beware of him because if you meet him, he will drive you here and this is not a good place to be. So when you see him, just go around him, uh, flee from him because he's a dangerous guy. He will send you right here. And so they send the memo to all the demons. They send the email, or I should say rather, demail, uh, to every, <laughs> you know, demon around the, around the world, saying, just beware of Paul, Paul, you know. So every time they say Paul, you know, say, oh, watch this guy. I don't want to meet him. Now, I don't know if that really happens, but that's my imaginary. But this particular demon certainly heard about Paul, even though he never met him. Of course, because if he met him, he would not be there anymore, right? Uh, so he heard about Paul. But then he looked at these guys who use the name of Jesus, but he had never heard about them. He said, who are you? Who are you? You have no authority about me. There was no email about you yet in my inbox. Who are you? You have no power. So he jumped on them and beat the soul out of there. You know, and uh, well, at the end of the story, speaks about, you know, that, that mask that I was speaking about. 
When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all sized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they have done because they realized there is no secrets, right? We fake it, we wear the mask, we try to behave nicely, but they know us, even in hell. Hey, there's no way how we can hide it. It's all public anyway. So they confess it. I brought it to the light and overpowered the power of darkness. Now, why the Paul was known in hell? Now, this is an important question for us to ask. Why he was known in hell? Or the place we call it in hell. Why he was known among the demons? Because he did something for Jesus. When I look what Paul was doing, he was, he was living for Jesus. He was doing something for Jesus. He was proclaiming the name of Jesus. He was praying for sick. He was driving out demons. He was volunteering in his church. Maybe he was cleaning the toilet because it was needed. He did something for Jesus out of love for Jesus. And because he did something for Jesus, they knew him because he was a troublemaker for their kingdom. And now this is an important thing for you. If you want to have the authority in your life over the power of darkness, if you want to be known in what we call hell, you need to be active for Jesus. This is the only way they will know about you. If you try just to live your life, Christian life, by just attending the church, they don't care. But if you live your life being active, you, you make your, your faith public, you are serving Jesus, you do something out of love for him, you will be known, they will know about you because you are the troublemaker and they will think, oh, just the Susie and a Peter and Paul, just beware of them. You know, San Alban was a much better place before they got active. But now they are ruining our kingdom there and they speak about love of Jesus and they, they give a Christmas takeaway. I mean, that's crazy. We need to stop that. Because they don't like active Christians, right? But that's the, not the only place when they know about us. That's not the only place when they know about us. And surprisingly, the other place, it doesn't matter really what you do. It's kind of like almost surprise because on one side, it's important what they know about us in what we call hell because of what we do for Jesus. But on the other side, if you just do something for Jesus, it doesn't really matter in another place. There's this line that Jesus said during one of his talks that actually got my attention. And it's kind of like powerful line, but kind of chilling in the same time because we feel like, is he speaking to me really? And you know, uh, it's uh, in Matthew 7, where Jesus says this line. And some Christians read that and they're afraid, well, how that applies to me. And uh, Jesus said there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name dried out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you ever doers. And that's kind of almost contradiction, right? On one side, I just said, they will know you in hell. You will have the authority if you do something for Jesus. But Jesus says here, well, if you do the stuff in my name for me, it still might be that I have never knew you. I don't know how you feel when you read verses like this from the Bible. I grew up in a very traditional church that used to have the tradition that on the New Year Eve, they were giving the verses, you know, uh, that 
people were picking up randomly, kind of like lottery about your destiny. Uh, and they were picking up verses randomly that were supposed to be guidance for the next year. <laughs> My mom one year, she picked up this verse, you know, so she had a ruined year, you know. She was like, oh, God doesn't like me anymore, you know. I'm, I'm just com completely, you know, you know. I was like, I was angry. My family actually called to the pastor and said, why you put even the verse there? So it's in the Bible. Yeah, what? You know, other verses in the Bible you don't put there, like, you know, Judas went and hung himself, you know, something like that. But anyway. <laughs> To whom actually Jesus is speaking? Does he speak to us who said, okay, I will be active for Jesus. I will help people out of love for Jesus. I will do something for him. Or who he actually addressed. So we need to actually get a little bit few verses back to see to what group Jesus is speaking about. And as we will look at that, we will discover that again he speaks to the people who are faking it who are wearing the mask, who are different than they really are on the outside than they are really inside. So when we look a little bit, a couple of verses before that, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Of figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, but they fruit, you will recognize them. And then the next sentence starts Not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord, will come into the kingdom of heaven. So it's connected. So what, who's Jesus speaking about? He's speaking here about the group of people that come into the church or into the, among the believers, and they have the sheep clothing. They look spiritual. They look nice. They look like they are one of us, but inside of them, they are not really sheep. They are the wolves inside. They want to take control. They want to manipulate. They want the power. They want the money. They want to get everything from you. They want to get you to place. They will manipulate and destroy you. These are the false prophets. These are the people that are trying to wear the mask and never be in the light so they will never be known who they really are. Because their, their inside, inside world is a full of, 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 of wolves. In other words, they are not changed on the inside. And that's important thing for us to know. The Christianity strength is not, about, uh, is not about behavior modification, that you will learn to behave nicer to people. That's not the point of faith. The point of faith is that God will touch your inner being the way that your heart, that is like the heart full of stone, that is so heavy, dragging you down, that heart will be transformed supernaturally to heart of meat full of life, and that the Holy Spirit will, will uh, overflow his love into that new heart. So you will be overflowing with love, and the changed behavior will be not because you learn ethical way how to behave, but because inside you will love people, you will love God, and you will be different because you are different from the inside out. That's what Jesus intends to do with you. He wants to transform your heart. He wants to change that inside. And we read that from the Old Testament to New Testament. That was always God's intention. Not to get us to the behavior modification, but change our heart. I remember what we've read. Jesus said to these who say, well, I did, we did great things for you in your name. Jesus said, I have never knew you. 
There was never relationship. There was never transformed heart. So in order to be known in what we call heaven, where God is, to be known with God, important thing for us is to have our heart transformed. And if, if you feel like, well, I'm hiding. In fact, I'm acting like a sheep, but inside I feel like a wolf. Well, this is the best place to be today because you can say, God, save me. Save me. Change me on the inside. Transform me. Make that transformation. Kill the wolf inside of me so I can become your sheep. That's a great place to be today because God wants to touch your heart powerfully and mightily. So to be known in hell, you need to be active. To, know, to be known in heaven, you need to have transformed heart, being different on the inside. But there's a third way or third place where we need to be known, and that is on the earth, right? It's important to be known on the earth. Because here we are living in Europe these days, where there's a common, common kind of saying among the people, hey, you, you can believe whatever you want, but keep it private. Keep it private, never make it public. Because it's your business, it's no one else's business, but we don't want to hear about your faith. The problem is, Christian faith can't be lived in private. <laughs> Christian faith is highly personal, it can't be transferred, you have to receive it yourself, but it's never private. Christian faith is communal, it's living in the community, it's always connecting, because the Christian faith is about the God's love being overflowed into your heart, and love cannot be lived in the solitude, love is always connecting. If you are living together, I mean, how, if you'll be just by yourself, how can you love everybody else? You love only yourself because you are only with yourself. You can love other people only when you are connected. So the Christian faith always will be overflowing from my privacy. It's a personal, but it's not private. It's connecting faith. And in order to be connected, you need to make it public. You need to make the first step and say, I want to make known to my friends to heaven and hell and all my friends on earth, that I am now the follower of Jesus because he transferred my heart. But how do you make it public? Different churches do it different ways. Some of them, they say, well, raise the hands or come forward. There's nothing about that in the Bible. Actually, there are plenty of verses in the Bible are going forward and backwards, but it doesn't apply to the outer call. There's nothing about that. There's nothing in the Bible about the sinner's prayer. You know, the prayer that we say, oh, I repeat the prayer after me. It's never in the Bible. You can't find it. It's, we invented that just 200 years ago. It's, it's not there. But the only biblical way how to make the first step to make your faith public for everybody to know that now you are the follower of Jesus is the baptism. It's the water baptism. Because in the water baptism, you confess I am now connected to God. I'm disconnected with hell. They know about me, but I don't know them anymore. I'm connected to God. This is my new connection. I make it public. I'm following Jesus. And I want you to know that from now on, I will make my life public, my faith public. And that is, that is so important step. So in case you are here today and you know that God has transformed your heart, and he touched your spirit. He filled you with his love. But you never make that first step to make your faith public. You know, I heard about your big baptism day coming up. This is so good times. Just sign up for it. Do it. It's a big celebration. And more importantly, it is because you are making your faith being known. This is the first step. 
and then take your faith to the public place, to your school, to your family. But it starts with the first step to make it known. I am not ashamed. I am going to profess that I am now the follower of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, there are places in this world where we can't fake it. We can't wear the mask. We have to take the mask down and say, I want to be known. I want to be known in heaven because I love Jesus. I want to be known in hell because I serve Jesus. And I want to be known in the, in, among my friends because I make the public steps to profess my faith. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you have made yourself public, you know, with uh, all your coming into the world publicly, serving us publicly, dying for us, rising up from the dead. But also I want to thank you that you give us, uh, give us a real relationship based on transformation of our heart. We don't have to try to be better, to please you. We just need to be honest and open with you. And you touch our heart and you transform it from the inside out. And I want to specifically also ask for those who are here who are Christian, who are following you, and who were even baptized, but they have never made a step to serve you regularly, practically, in whatever it's needed, because they wait for some specific moment to be called to the ministry, that they will realize the only way they will have the authority in their life is to be active, to serve you, out of love for you and for your church, because you love your church, you build your church, and so I ask you that you will give them courage to make the step and say, how can I get connected? How can I serve? So I will be known where that really matters. Amen.